0: Welcome to that stack of books, the Town Hall Summer Edition. Nancy Pearl, Katie Sewell, and I were at Town Hall July 23rd, helping celebrate 15 years of great programs at Town Hall. Hope you like this show. If you do, please join us at Town Hall just a few weeks Sunday, October 18th at 6:30 after the Seahawks game, which we expect them to win. Buy tickets, invite your friends, win fabulous prizes. That Stack of Books, Town Hall, October 18th. More on the event later, but first, let's revisit July's. We told a few book jokes. Mine were terrible. Nancy surveyed folks in the audience, gave them almost psychic book suggestions. We played a trivia game, which was way too hard because Nancy Pro, the librarian, was asking what I thought were some pretty obscure questions. Can you name all the Hardy Boys? Well, there was only two, but I couldn't name them. All three books in C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy? I couldn't. We also talked with Jason Schmidt, whose memoir, A List of Things That Didn't Kill Me, chronicles growing up poor in Seattle in the 80s. His mom had left. His single dad was gay. He had just come out. His dad was also a petty thief, a drug dealer, an addict, and he had HIV. And Jason had to take care of him. It is a tough and honest story. Reveals a Seattle too many of us don't see, even when we're walking the same streets. But first, a few jokes. Man walks into a bookstore, browses the philosophy section. <laughs> they hated this joke. Uh, after a while, the, the, the person working there comes up and says, sir, um, may I help you? And the man says, what do you mean, may I help you? See, that joke just falls flat. It's a, it's a, it's a philosophy joke. Just think of it that way.
1: How about this one? The past, the present, and the future walk into a bar. It was tense. (laughs) Is that (laughs) terrible?
2: Every book has some flaws and mistakes, no matter how good its editor. I guess you could say it's bound to happen.
1: Yikes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is a flea's favorite book? Seven years. You know, that's actually very good. I think that's actually a better answer. I don't even know I'll say the Seven answer, because that inch. one's better. Itch hiker's guide to the galaxy.
2: Um, Barnes wanted to start a bookstore, but his partner had less
1: than noble intentions. Oh. Mm. An author sends his book to a potential publisher with a note that says, none of the characters in this book resemble anyone living or dead. And when his book is returned to him, there's a note pinned to it that says, and that's why it's no good. <laughs>
0: Teacher says to a pupil, why don't you take home Dr. Seuss? And the pupil says, I didn't know he did house calls.
2: It's <laughs> terrible. Uh, Mine are uh, the worst. Yours <laughs> are terrible. Uh, okay, so this is an NPR joke that Katie told originally, so, so I'm stealing it from her. Knock, knock. Who's there? To. To who? To whom? <laughs> okay, now, yeah, we'll see. will be here all week. Yeah. yeah right. right. <laughs> Nicely warmed up so we have lots of prizes to give away you know we have like books and notebooks and fun things so
0: there may even be you know a
2: book for everybody I can't tell or something for everyone
1: and you may notice that there's a piece of paper on your chair which is a survey that Nancy does and we're going to take four of those out of the audience during this show, um, where you circle the thing that best applies, and Nancy's going to try to recommend things for you. Well, try. No. Sh- she'll Na- succeed. Nancy
0: will recommend books for you. Okay. With
1: the help of you all. But Steve
2: and I used to do this on the radio, and what you need to do, you, you know, look at that handout and think of a book and then answer the four um, uh, questions that are there. And then based on that, we will come up with s- at least one book recommendation for you.
0: If you put your email address on yes. it and a name, it, then she's going to spend the next month going through each of those forms <laughs> and sending you a book suggestion. Right. That is personalized service. Yes,
2: indeed. <laughs> so we have, um, we have some, a great quiz coming up, a book quiz coming up that we're going to take volunteers for. And uh, a and lot in And we're talking store. to Jason. And we're talking to Jason. Which well, you're talking to Jason. I am talking to Jason,
0: yes. which is a a Seattle, well, well we'll see how many of us know the Seattle that Jason writes about. And that's what makes it such a great book.
1: We should establish a baseline though. What kind of a reader are you, Steve?
0: I am a I I was a very diligent reader of assignments for 30 years, right? I got a book, I had to interview an author, I read it. I had most I had choice. I'd, I could do good, good you know, high-level authors, science, nonfiction, and I was very diligent about it. Now I am the most random of <laughs> readers, because I can be. Wander library stacks, wander bookstores, wander my shelves of all the books I haven't <laughs> read. I've been reading a lot of mysteries and nonfiction nature books, essays nature. about nature, book about sharks, Who's the Irish uh, the Northern Irish detective author?
2: Um, um, Adrian, Adrian McKinty. Adrian McKinty. Write this down. M C K I N T Y. If you're a mystery fan, Mark, you read those, right? Yeah, Mark read those and agrees that they're just wonderful.
0: Yeah. And so I'm reading one right now cuz yeah. on your recommendation. Right, right. That's the kind I am, what kind are of you?
1: Yes. I Sa- am a haphazard reader, I would say. Uh, Right now I'm in the mood for cozy books. What's a cozy book? It's anything that makes me feel like it's a simpler time, (laughs) basically. So that can range from Little Women to the Autobiography of Ben Franklin. But I also use um, Agatha Christie as a cleanser. So when I don't know what else to read, I read an Agatha Christie book and then I move on to something a little harder. But you're reading a very interesting book now. Yeah, I'm reading The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius right now. In Latin, right? No. (laughs) I'm also reading Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales.
0: How do those balance out? Uh,
1: They don't really relate (laughs) very much at all, except that they have to do with death and life, I suppose.
0: Yeah. That's funny you picked that up, because I picked up Cicero. I just decided I was going to read Cicero.
1: Yeah. We have a mind meld in this, so we're going to switch after this. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. And you, Nancy? What kind
2: of reader are you? I am, um, I'm an eclectic reader who goes through periods of not being able to find anything that I enjoy. And I'm sort of in that, sort of in that frame. No, you're
0: not, because you just read a book you like. But I
2: did just read a book that I like, which I'm highly um, recommending. It's a memoir by uh, Sally Mann, the photographer. And you might remember Sally Mann as the photographer who about 15 years ago got into a lot of trouble uh, because she took pictures of her children, uh, young children, um, who were uh, in what people felt were provocative poses. Oh, yeah. um, sh- it's a wonderful, wonderful, terrific memoir. And um, I, I, have, um, I have a love-hate relationship with memoirs, so uh, to find one, um, besides Jason's that I really, <laughs> yeah. hey <wait> a minute. <laughs> all right, that I really, really enjoyed, um, and, and Sally Mann, in addition to being a wonderful photographer, had a very interesting, weird family uh, of ancestors, and also she has a Masters of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from Hollins College, so she's a good writer in addition to everything else. It's just a terrific book. It, oh, sorry, it's called Hold Still. And it's just, um, it, it's really, it's really good.
0: So I just wanted to hear, Katie's going to go in the audience.
2: I'm
1: deployed. Going
0: to grab some of your uh, forms.
1: Who has one?
0: We've been doing the podcast at the Bryant Corner Cafe at the corner of 32nd and 65th in Northeast Seattle. And we've been doing it at 315 on Tuesdays. But we're not doing it this summer because we all have been working. But, or not working. But um,
2: and it, come and by. I, yeah, come by. It's um, we just sit around and we talk about books, and we love to hear what people are reading. Um, but in addition to that, it's half price cookie day, at, <laughs> and um, and they have the best peanut butter cookies ever.
1: And get there early because the kids across the street at the uh, el- what is it elementary school will give you a run for your money in that yeah. cookie line. So. This is from Odessa out in the audience. Okay. So, um, so Odessa said that she was thinking of a particular
2: book. The book was beautifully written. She kept rereading sentences and paragraphs because they were so evocative. She stayed up late to finish the book and the setting was like another character. Um, so a book that I would recommend to Odessa. Where's it? Where's it? Could you make yourself? nervous? Oh, hi. There's a, um, a wonderful first novel. Uh, by a woman named Rebecca Sherm, S-C-H-E-R-M, and it's called Unbecoming. And the title is absolutely uh, just an amazingly wonderful title because what does that mean, Unbecoming? I think it would be a great book for a book group. So that's one that I would recommend, a brand-new book. But if I were going to go back and read an older title, the book that I would read, I think that fits this exactly is "Angle of Repose" by Wallace Stegner. Have you read that, Odessa? Okay, so now's the time to read it <laughs> because we have a whole
0: book club here that apparently you can work with afterwards. <laughs>
2: yeah, and and both of those books would be great book discussion books. Well, you're well, welcome. You're
0: grabbing the next one. How did you um, like what 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 in that formed that book suggestion for you?
2: Well. Um, for the angle of repose is, is, uh, Wallace Degner is a terrific, a terrific writer, first of all, and it's the kind of book that you do stay up late to finish because you want to see how he's going to bring everything together and, and do that. And then the setting in that book, which is the American West and the Southwest really it, it, it comes to life in that book. Um, the other, another writer that I would suggest, um, oh gosh, Wendell <laughs> Berry. Wendell Berry is a poet, but he has written a series of books set in um, Port William, Kentucky, and about the different people in, in Port William, Kentucky. And the one that I would start with is is a book called Jaber Crow, J-A-Y-B-E-R Crow, but all of his books are just, um, they, uh, Odessa, they just fit this, your, your criteria. And could you tell us what book you were, you, you were thinking of? The Passion by Jeanette Winterson. Yes. The Passion by Jeanette the Winterson. Pas- yeah, The Passion by Jeanette Winterson. And you read Why Be Happy, yeah. it, why, it, why be, uh, yeah, why, why, be why be normal when you could be, no, why, no, why be happy when you could be normal. Another wonderful memoir, again, that's so beautifully written, and I mark my, I don't underline books, but I do put little, um, those, you know, I stick on book, what are they called? Book darts in them, and, and my copy of Why Be Happy If You Could Be Normal is just, has swollen to twice its normal size because it has all of these book darts. So if you like, if you like memoirs, if you like beautifully written books, Jeanette Winterson's that book would be, and the Passion for a non-memoir would be um, all of her books would be absolutely wonderful. Okay,
1: this is from Shelby. The setting
2: seemed so real to me. I kept rereading sentences and paragraphs of this book. I am in, in awe of the of the way the author could put words together. Reading this book was like a poem. I loved. So what? So where's Shelby? Okay. So what this says to me is that you really love well, what people would call well-written books, that you, you know, um, maybe you're a writer yourself, or you, you, you just are looking for books. You're, you're not into, it do, the plot doesn't matter to you. How fast a book moves doesn't matter to you. What you really want in a book is just that, that language. Is that all true? Pretty good, huh? And she wasn't a plant <laughs> um, you know so oh gosh there there are just there are just so many um because this could describe my reading too <laughs> that's that's the thing, so I would actually suggest Rebecca sherm's book as well, unbecoming um, i i i would I, you know what I would also go, go back i would also suggest another plug for Sally Mann's Hold Still because what's really imp- one of the things that's very important to Sally Mann is the Virginia farm that she grows up on and lives on still today and and so that just um, that really comes through is, is that that sort of sense of place. And Wendell Berry, like gosh you and Odessa need to get together and, and talk about books. Um, Shelby if you'll like add your email to this I could I, I'll send you more. Okay. Or follow me on Twitter which which is when I talk about all that. Is that okay? Do you have enough? Okay. What bo- oh, oh you were thinking of the Chuck Palinuk. Okay. Yeah. This is
1: from Marie and I'm looking for a man next who has a I wondered what happened sheep
2: oh sorry go ahead I wondered what happened to some or all the people in the book after it ended I learned things about where this book is set that I never knew before even though I've never lived there I knew the place where the book was set because of the author's description the main character changed and developed as the book progressed Um, so I think that oh so where are you Oh, you're back there. Okay. So, so it seems to me that what's really important to you in the books you read is, is your, your connection with the characters and, yeah. that, um, and that, you, that you look at a book. When you finish a book, it isn't done for you because you want to think about the lives of the characters, you know, and, and what's happening to them afterwards. So there's an older title which is still in print, um, at least it's in print as an ebook um, by a, a woman named Nancy Willard, and it's called Things Invisible to See, and it's set in, in Ann Arbor in the years around World War II and um, a young a young a young man in his teens is playing baseball in a in a park in Ann Arbor, and he um, throws the ball, and the ball hits this girl who he goes to high school with in the head and she's paralyzed for a while and when I finished that book I wrote to Nancy Willard years ago and I said you know this is a book that made me think so much happened before the book began and so much happened after the book ended so that's an older title that I would recommend Um, a, a title that that I think A book that I think that you would really like is by Jojo Moyes. Have you read anything by her? M O Y E S, and it's called Me Before You. And um, so, just really briefly, it's about a young, a young woman who gets a job as a kind of companion to um, a man who's a few years her senior, she's like 19 or 20 and he's in his late 20s. And he was somebody who raced motorcycles and climbed mountains and did all those things and he was in a very bad accident and is now um, a quadriplegic. And she is his companion and he wants to kill himself, he doesn't want to live anymore in the state that he's in and his parents are desperate to keep him alive. And so, you know, their sort of subtext in hiring her is that she can persuade him to keep living. And, um, and it's what happens when they get together. And it's a book that you cannot predict the ending. And you really want to know what happens to them in the next book. And luckily Jojo Moyes is publishing the sequel this fall. But we didn't know that when the book came out, so that's me before you. I think you would really like it. You're welcome. Before you do
0: this: Oh sorry. Before you do this last one, talk a little bit about this form. I know we've talked about it before, but I, I find it fascinating. You developed this. I did. What were you?
2: I did. So um, so it seems to me that 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 uh, that narrative nonfiction that is nonfiction that tells a story, and fiction. Um, is composed of four elements and one of those elements is character, one is setting, one is um, the writing, I call that language, and the other is story. And the difference between, the difference among books is not what the book is about. You don't, one, one, a reader doesn't love a book because of what the book is about. It's, It's rather what the book, what it is about the book that connects that you connect with and people tend to fall into i mean people tend to sort themselves I- into different kinds of readership and the biggest group of readers you know who uh, and if you look at the bestseller list you absolutely see this the biggest group of readers are those who read for story and if you you know when you when you go into a bookstore or you go into a library those are the books that you see And, um, and then the next section, the next biggest are character, people who read for character. And then people who read, um, for setting are smaller. But there are people who, who actually, when they come up to you and say, can you help me find a book to read? And I would say, tell me about a book that you like. They would say, oh, I felt like I was there. You know, that they really want that, um, that kind of of connection with a book and then the smallest group but this is but this is not surprising that in this group which is self-selected um, uh, uh, language is very important like to the first two people so does that help yes yeah so those, those a, are the four yes and those are the four that w- you know that answering a question about a book divides shows me what what your what your interests are Because, do you remember the book um, The Prince of Tides by Pat Conroy? Yeah, that's right. So I was managing a bookstore in Tulsa when that came out, and I sold many copies of that book because I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And people would come back, and they would say, I want another book just like it. And that's a question that, you know, that's a question that, I, I mean... That puts the fear of God into into you because there is no book that's just like it. But the point is that when if I said to somebody what was it about the book that you liked? They would talk about how wonderful the writing was or how, you know, um, the barrier islands in in uh, off the coast of um, uh, South Carolina came alive for them or they loved the characters. Not one person said to me I want another book in which the main character um, doesn't marry his sister's psychiatrist, which is the plot of the book.
0: All right, do this one. Okay,
2: and then we'll move on. Is we're going to talk from, to Jason. This is from Chuck. And, then, okay. and
0: then we're going to give you a quiz, and then we're going to get, you'll have a lot of time for questions.
2: Uh, the, the setting seemed so real to me. It was so interesting to think about what it would be like to be the main character. Even though I've never lived there, I knew the place where the book was set because of the author's descriptions. The main character changed and developed as the book progressed. Um, okay, so the book that I would suggest is a wonderful book, and I actually would suggest this to all of you, <laughs> to everybody. It's called Refuge, and it's by Terry Tempest Williams. Um, it, you know, and you might notice that I, 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 all, uh, many of the books that I've suggested tonight are older titles, and that's because I feel very strongly that we spend so much time thinking about what's new that we forget that if someone hasn't read a book, that book is. It, it doesn't matter when the book was published. It's new to them. And Refuge, does which is set by the Great Salt Lake, um, is just an amazing, amazing book by by um, by Terry Tempest Williams. So I definitely um, would do that. But any of those natural history ones, Steve, that you that you love, I think, would yeah. be would be good. The nonfiction, which yeah.
0: David Quammen's book. David
2: Quammen's book, right.
0: See, that's why it's fun to do these podcasts with Nancy, because you just, like, give her a little bit, and she's got all these ideas. Jason Schmidt, come up here, if you would, sir.
2: While Jason's coming up here, I think we need to give a present, a a book to all of our four people. Well, here, you wander. I know. You
0: wander. Wait, now, let's see. None of those fit the criteria you mentioned. Yes, yes. (laughs) Hope you are enjoying this Town Hall edition of That Stack of Books. We'll talk with writer Jason Schmidt in a few moments. We'll be back at Town Hall October 18th, so if you like this show, join us for that one. Love to fill the place up with book lovers and language aficionados. Our guest will be National Grammar Day founder Martha Brokenbro, author of Divine Intervention, and Pacific Northwest graphic designer Frida Clements, whose new book is Have a Little Pun, An Illustrated Play on Words. Five bucks for a ticket. October 18th, the Seahawks game will be over. Your blood will be pumping. And you will want to ramp it up even more with a discussion on grammar and wordplay, I think, yes? See you there. Back to the July Town Hall Show. Here is Jason Schmidt talking about his memoir, A List of Things That Didn't Kill Me. It's about growing up in Seattle in the 80s, poor, hungry, and scared, with a drug-addicted, AIDS-infected father. I, uh, I wanted to talk to Jason Schmidt, whose book, uh, A List of Things That Didn't Kill Me, because it's a Seattle I think a lot of us maybe don't allow ourselves to see. How's that? And it's a Seattle, why not? Why shouldn't we see it? Yes?
3: We should see that Seattle. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I think. That was certainly... Part of why I wrote the book, uh, my editor kind of talked me into it, and that was part of her pitch. <laughs> now,
0: what do you mean by that? You said that in the, I read that in the acknowledgements, too. Uh,
3: well, I didn't, I didn't, um, I had these interesting stories that I'd been telling to friends for years and years, and uh, I enjoyed telling them to friends, and I, I blogged about them sort of anonymously uh, for a couple of years, and then decided I was done with that. i uh, It was actually... Uh, it was Mad Men that got me thinking about it, <laughs> about being done with it. Uh, I, I watched the first episode of Mad Men, and there's a bit in the first season where uh, somebody's asking Don Draper about his about his past, or his, his wife is saying he doesn't like to talk about his past, and he says, you know, why should I? That's, that's not what we do in America. You know, I was a baby in a basket. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing what I'm doing, and where I came from doesn't matter. And I was like, suddenly that idea was really attractive to me, and so I wanted to be done with it. But I also thought, well, okay, but I can still use it. I still want to write, and so I wrote this uh, this novel that was set uh, in the '80s. It was a, a, a detective story, uh, teenage girl detective story, kind of Nancy Drew meets train spotting, was what I would tell people about it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and that was and and so I was, I, I I showed that around, and, and uh, that was I, I that got me an agent. And we were we were both really enthusiastic about it, and we worked on it for a while, and she took it to some editors, and uh, a couple of the editors said, you know, th- we're not sure that this is the right book for us, but your one-page bio is really interesting. Have you ever thought about doing a memoir? And my immediate answer was like, oh, God, no. Um, like, not, not, not now, you know? <laughs> Maybe 10 years ago, I would have thought about doing a memoir, but I don't want to do it now. And so my agent suggested I have a conversation with the editors, and we talked on the phone, and... Uh, and the editor who talked me into it was the one who said, you know, people need to see this Seattle. They need to see these kids. These things need to be visible to people. Um, and when she said it, it kind of smacked me over the head because I had, I had heard this uh, this uh, this quote uh, via Joss Whedon, and I'm, I'm blanking on the man who actually originated it. Um, he's a Dominican writer. He's on the East Coast. Uh, and for some reason, I'm totally blanking on his name. But he, he had said to a to a bunch of college students, he had he had said this thing Juno about Juno Diaz. Juno Diaz, exactly. Um, he had said this. He had said this thing about uh, invisibility and how vampires don't have a reflection, and how if you want to p- turn people into monsters, uh, the best way to do it is to not give them any reflection of themselves at the cultural level. And in in, I heard Joss Whedon say that same way, <laughs> he was quoting Junot Diaz, and, and so when she said it, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we'll do, um, I'll write a book that talks about these other things. All right, uh, what, what are you? so let's talk about your life, what, what are your earliest, one of your earliest memories,
0: you start the book with some of your earliest memories, what's that earliest memory?
3: Uh, well, my very, very earliest memory is, uh, riding a tricycle in Eugene, um, I had, uh, the memory does not include this. The the memory is just me riding down the street and kind of looking at shapes and and the relationship of two trees to each other and uh, and sort of free associating my way down the street. And then uh, at some point I'm riding down the middle of the street on my tricycle and my mom comes out of one of the houses that I'm going past and she calls to me. Uh, And I go inside and she gives me a glass of water and she calls my dad and my dad comes over and They have a conversation, sort of a fraught conversation, and then he takes me home. And what had happened was I was riding my tricycle out front, and he had just kind of lost track of me, and I had ridden, like, more than a mile. I mean, it was was a ways (laughs) Uh, across town, Eugene, Oregon, where we were living uh, when I was little. I had just ridden to my mom's house because we'd gone, I guess, we had gone back and forth between them enough times that I sort of had this picture of what the of what the route there looked like and had just sort of been following my associations to her house. How could your dad have lost track with you? Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's, I think the easy answer is that my dad was uh, my dad was sort of ambivalent about parenting, but uh, I think <laughs> I think what is probably honestly more true in context is just that people didn't worry about what their kids were doing quite as much back then. Um, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time by myself from the time I was three or four, and I had a lot of friends who spent a lot of time by, thems- by themselves from that age. So, uh, I, I mean, I, th- I think that was what happened. I was just out in the front yard playing on a tricycle, which I think is sort of a universal picture that we all have of what a, of what a home life is supposed to look like, and I just... Was gone. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he knew I was gone. He didn't. I, my memory of the conversation between him and his, him and my mom suggested to me that he do- didn't. Uh, which is which is the version of events I went with in the book. But I like. He didn't seem particularly panicked when he showed up. <laughs> just kind of like, wow. So that's where he is. I did. Gosh, I hadn't noticed he was missing, and my mom was like, you know, found that pretty appalling. But uh, you know, what I, kind I of
0: relationship did those two guys did those two have? My your parents? mom and your dad.
3: Yeah. Uh. Incredibly antagonistic. Um, I they were they were an interesting they were in, it was interesting to be in the same room with them because it 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 stopped happening at a certain point when she moved to California and then uh, <laughs> you know I, t- I totally left this out of the book because it I felt like it complicated things but and it was and it was it was sort of a weird digression it was just this it was this two week period that kind of came out of nowhere uh, right before he died she got back in touch and like came up to visit. And it was, it was like their whole, their whole marriage on fast forward. It was like, she came up and, and they started talking and they found all the things that they'd had in common. And, and she was talking about like coming up and taking care of him. And I was, I found that very, that idea very disorienting. (laughs) And, uh, and then, and then it just went South incredibly quickly, um, which Was just sort of what happened when you got them in a room together.
0: Well, your 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 dad and your mom. um, Well, I'm letting you be delicate about it, and pretty soon I won't. But when when you write in the book about us and them,
3: who is us? In the book, us are. I I mean, it's you know there are some historical terms that are not really in use anymore in the same way that they used to be. Like we were the freaks. We were we were you know the hippies uh... freaks was the was the word we mainly used hippies was another word that we used although in my particular group we had a lot of contempt for hippies Um, we sort of thought of hippies as as posers basically as like as as rich people or the children of rich people who were sort of sowing their wild oats and would eventually you know like yeah they're going to dead shows now but give it two years and then they're gonna be selling dead t-shirts and then they're gonna have a head shop and then they're gonna you know like uh, and, who, a, and
0: instead, <laughs> who, were, who were you guys? Who was, how did you guys see yourself?
3: Uh, well, we saw ourselves as, as, uh, as realists. Um, my dad talked a lot about the idea of a social contract. So basically, we, I mean, we were criminals is, is I think what most people <laughs> would say. Your dad was a drug dealer. My dad was a drug dealer. Your um, mom used a lot of drugs. Both of them used drugs. Yes. Um, both of them had bad habits. Uh, but I was mostly—I mean, most as far as like who we were—it was mostly me and my dad, and then my dad's friends. Um, and he was—we uh, just had a certain kind of like, I don't know. It's we had a certain moral. What I guess would regard as a moral flexibility in our outlook about about property, for example. You know, like if we were walking down the street and. And some kid had left their skateboard out in the sidewalk. Dad would say, "You know, they're basically donating that to Goodwill. Why don't you cut out the middleman and pick it up, and we'll take it with us?" <laughs> Where'd you get a Christmas tree one year? We stole it from Chubby and Tubby. <laughs> Your dad stole it. Well, my dad stole it, but I was—I mean, I was in on it. I was disoriented by what was happening, but well, you once, were like five or something, were you? I was seven. Oh, it was our first—it was that. our first year in Seattle, and we had—we uh, had moved here. We'd been uh, due to a. An unexpected bout of flesh-eating staph infection, which was just the kind of thing that used to happen to me all the time. Um, we had been homeless in Eugene for a little while. I like while. how you allied over that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, th- the thing is, like, when I was a kid, we kept, like, if you were to go into my bathroom when I was a kid in Eugene, there would be a giant industrial-sized bottle of Quell sitting next to the tub. Quell is a special, for those of you who don't have this experience, is a special shampoo that you use to kill lice. And we got lice so often that we didn't need a prescription for it or anything. We just kept a big bottle of it around because it happened all the time. We got pink eye all the time. We got ringworm all the time. I mean, we, it was, we just, we were living in grinding poverty. And so like flesh eating staph infection was, was awful, but it's, I, it, I wouldn't call it a surprise. And yeah, I mean, I just, you know, like narratively, I it it is sort of just, was just a bump in the road. Um, But then by the time we got to Seattle, we were still very poor, and so we had moved into this house. Uh, and I use that term very, you know, very liberally, but it was this place was this. What place did it had, smell like? Yeah. Oh, it smelled awful. Um, it was... Uh, it's actually, you know, interestingly, it's, it's still there, and it's one of the only places that we, that we lived in when I was a kid that hasn't been demolished. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bungalow uh, over on uh, Aloha, on the, on the east slope of Capitol Hill, and it's uh, it's a one-bedroom house, and it was basically a wooden box on a on a dirt hole, uh, and so the the moisture from the ground would just chimney up through the house, uh, and after we'd been there for a very short period of time, uh, Dad found giant mushrooms growing in the closet. Um, <laughs> And he, like, he talked about it, he talked about it like people we knew who'd been to Vietnam talked about the jungle. I mean, it was like finding mushrooms in his closet, because he was from L.A. originally, and finding mushrooms in his closet was like, psychically, it just wrecked him. I mean, I, it, took him, it took him a while to recover from that. Uh, and the house was just disgusting. So we, 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 we did this in a lot of places we moved into, is that dad would find a place that was barely habitable and get it at really low rent because it was an awful condition and then we would kind of uh do this really quick refitting of the house so we you know took we we got some friends who had a truck dad made friends really quickly wherever we went so even though we were new in town he had already met some people and he got he got his hands on a loading truck and we moved uh, a bunch of broken down furniture and garbage out of the house and then we rented this old uh cast iron steamer stripped off the wallpaper repainted um steam cleaned the carpet and it was you know habitable in a couple of weeks although it really it always had that weird smell but our first Christmas in Seattle, we were sleeping on the floor under piles of blankets, and it was freezing. And uh, But Dad was really determined that we were going to have a tree. And so I wasn't really thinking about it, but in the back of his mind, he was ticking away at it like he often did. And uh, the solution that he came up with was he had seen the chubby and tubby lot. He'd been driving by it or something. And so we got up in the middle of the night and got in the car and drove... Down 23rd to Chubby and Tubby in, in Rainier Valley, and uh, it was it was raining and very very cold. And Dad hopped the fence. He went. Over, he climbed over the chain link fence, uh, found a tree he liked. He spent some time looking. Uh, <laughs> found a, Found a tree he liked. Uh, he liked and chucked it over the fence, uh, and then and then climbed over after it and threw it in the back of the car. In the process, he tore his uh, his coat. He had a uh, a nylon windbreaker. And uh, the thing that we were always, the challenge that we were always facing was him having clothes that were intact enough to go to job interviews in because um, everything that we bought was used. And it was very, very, it was not like it is now where there's a huge market of used stuff. It was very, very hard to find used stuff that was okay. Uh, and also the, I th- the other thing is, is that there was no, like, there was no idea about sort of like shabby chic or an idea that it was okay to be poor or that it was in any way authentic to be poor. Like, all these things that I think people sort of take for granted now, none of this was in the min- mindset of the 70s. It was, it was, you know, if you showed up for a job interview with a shirt that had a stain on it or a coat that had a hole in it, you were written off.
0: You know, he sounds like he was a pretty um, attentive dad then. Mm-hmm. Why, was, why did he beat you? Uh,
3: I have a lot of theories about that. Um, I suspect a lot of it had to do with the pressure of being extremely poor. Um, And I suspect that a lot of it also had to do with the fact that that was just how he was raised. Uh, Not the drugs, too? I consider the drugs to be part of being extremely poor. Um, Explain that. Well, I mean, I I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here because everybody makes their own choices and everybody's circumstance is different. But, uh, I mean, my dad my dad was sort of, in the context of his life, he was a born reject. He was born in 1950 and he was gay. And he knew he was gay on some level fairly early and his family knew he was gay on some level fairly early. Uh, Everybody in his family, they were in touch. They moved as a unit. They went from one place to another, you know, aunts, uncles, everybody, when they when when they would decide to go to a new town they would all go together and they would buy houses and they lived like you know normal people but my dad was out of that loop Um, and there were a lot of reasons for it but one of the reasons that i always thought really stood out was was that he was gay and that he just didn't fit in with them and out of that came not having sort of equity resources that a lot of people take for granted that allow them to get started you know getting money for college, getting help with your first house, getting, you know, having your, you know, your dad go in with you on some, you know, timber property that you own, Uh, just a lot of other things that, you know, when I would go visit his family, I would start to get an idea of how integrated they were economically and how much my dad wasn't getting just by virtue of being rejected by his family. And then add to that that in the 70s there was, you know, the economy was not very good, it was not very good in Oregon. Uh, and then he got busted when I was three, so he was a convicted felon, and that just meant that he was really, really poor. And being poor sucks. And <laughs> being poor with a kid, you really hate yourself. And this, there was not, there was not Prozac, there was pot, um, there was, you know, uh, there was not Xanax, there was cocaine. Uh, and I think that was part of how he coped with the stresses of it. And I mean, I can't. I didn't start to really appreciate this until I was in my 30s, but I cannot imagine how he felt being in that house when I was seven and we didn't have a Christmas tree and it was cold and there were mushrooms in the closet and we had been homeless and I had this, staff eating, you know, this, this flesh-eating staph infection. I, it, it took me a while to get there, but as an older adult, I would start to think about, I would try to imagine how I would feel in his position looking at a skinny dirty you know partially literate seven-year-old thinking about my role in that and being in this cold house and knowing that there was just no way out of it and it's like i, I honestly i can't believe he could speak in sentences sometimes you know the uh, the book's very funny by the way <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's real but it's very funny who who was frank
3: Uh, Frank Ross was a guy that we met when I was in high school. Um, My dad got sick when I was about 10, uh, 1982, so he was, uh, he had HIV, he was HIV infected very early on, but there was, in 1982, there was no, uh, there was no test for it, so we didn't know for sure until 85, and then he got, he went downhill very quickly after that. Uh, And it was, as he was going downhill uh... aid service organizations were kind of coming into being in seattle and one of the early ones that we got help from was the was the chicken soup brigade via the northwest aids foundation frank was a volunteer for the chicken soup brigade and he uh... he would come to our house and he would clean and uh... while he was cleaning he would ask me what i was planning to do with myself in the future and my answers horrified him and so (laughs) he uh... At at some point, he said, you know, I I just, I think that you need to let me help you get into college. Uh, And, I mean, he he could as easily have said to me, I think that you need to let me help you build a boat so that I can take you to Narnia. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I had very little to lose, and he seemed sincere, so uh, he got me into college. And in the process of doing that, I I was very nervous about taking something for nothing, and I was particularly nervous about sort of charity from people and strings that might be attached or expectations that might be created. And he said, look, you don't owe me anything, but I'm doing this for you in part because somebody did it for me a long time ago. If you need to feel like there's an obligation attached to this, have it be this. If you ever get out of here, you do something like this for somebody else someday. So I went away to Evergreen, and I had you know, as you might imagine, some emotional problems, Uh, and I, and I blew that, and there were a lot of times in my late teens and early twenties where I would be staring down this trajectory, you know, where I could imagine myself a couple years later on, you know, being in a house with a down there seven-year-old and thinking about how that was all my fault, and I would, and I would think about Frank, and I would be like, nope, I can't, slide that far down the hill I have to do this thing you know I made this promise Uh, and having the expectation out there that I was going to do something uh, was significantly more powerful than anything else in in giving me something to grab onto and pull myself back up over and over again because um, when you come out of a situation like that, all of your choices, you're going to make the wrong ones. Everything, everything that I was trained to do as a child uh, was to was to pick the wrong door. And, you know, it was really easy to just be like, all right, screw this. But uh, whenever I would start thinking that way, I would think, okay, but if I do that, if I do that thing, if I have an arrest record, if I, if I you know, default on my student loans, if I, you know, if I do this thing, Uh, I will not be in a position to fulfill my obligation to Frank. Um, And I told him that I would do this, and that matters to me. So,
0: Yeah, it's a profound book. I recommend it. Jason, thank you. Thank you. Jason's going to come back and uh, be up here with Nancy and us answering your questions. Yeah, walking around the city gives you a different sense after reading that book. It's really good. All right, now we're going to test your uh, your literary skills.
1: Now I will add the caveat: before you volunteer to be in this quiz, you must be very well read. Nancy has got some very hard questions,
0: but very we're looking hard.
1: for three volunteers. Wait, do you
0: want to say what what the winner gets?
1: Oh, uh, the winner gets a year year-long membership to Town Hall.
0: Yeah. Grand prize. Grand prize. That's the grand prize.
1: That's a grand prize. There will be.
0: They'll, clearly, there are some runner-up prizes.
1: Yes. many. So we're looking for three volunteers and we're going to give you a qualifying question first.
0: You're going to do what?
2: A
1: qualifying well, a, a qualifying question.
0: question. Oh, look, you scared everybody I away.
1: Know. It's not that. <laughs> yeah. Hard. You're all readers. All right, ask a qualifying question.
2: Okay. Um, what mystery writer has worked her way through the alphabet?
0: No, oh, that's so much easier than the questions you're going to ask afterwards. <laughs> well, we
2: wanted to start easy.
0: <laughs> okay,
2: all right come on so who wants go to for it? it. Sue Grafton okay you be a contestant maybe, yeah.
0: yeah, come on, come on. wait right. what, what didn't somebody else yell Sue Grafton back there? Come on, come on.
1: all right, come on up. You can
0: only lose. Come on up.
2: We need one more and you get a prize as well. Okay, so here's another question. Uh, name the four Bob C. twins. <laughs> yes, raise your hands.
0: Yeah, there's nobody raising their hands. Nobody? For name yeah. two
1: Name events. the th-
0: for the three se- the three sons on my three sons. <laughs> I'm bringing it up to another decade. Oh, wow. Name the South Park characters. Wow. <laughs>
1: Come on. Why don't who can name
2: so, two of them? Two of the
0: Bobsy twins. twins?
2: Two of the Bobsy Twins?
0: One Bobsy Twin?
2: Nobody knows okay. the Bobsy Twins. Of the,
0: one, who who were guys. the Hardy, what were the Hardy Boys?
2: Yeah. Oh, who said no. that? It what? it's not, <laughs> it wasn't though. It, was, it wasn't Tom and Joe? No, it wasn't Tom and Joe. Oh.
0: <laughs> Joe and Frank.
2: Joe and Frank. Frank, Frank was one of them. Are you guys, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, too hard. Okay. Um, so, so let's Librarian try this questions. one. Librarian questions. Lewis Carroll took Alice Liddell and her sisters on a picnic on what river in Oxford? It wasn't the Thames. It was a branch of the Thames. Oh, that's very nice. Thames. What it's, is it? Okay, it's the Isis River. So
1: why don't you guys... Come over here so um, everyone no. can see you. So I
2: can see these are
1: really going to be Come way too to hard. These are going to be
0: way too hard. You know what? Okay. We'll like do this I'll thing where we're like... I'll
1: <laughs> So let's introduce who you are. Peg Acterman. Okay. Do you and what kind of books do you like to read? I love Sarah Perezky and I'm really
4: happy that she has a new book coming out. Okay. Yep. All right. I'm Pat Martin. I'm going
5: to have senior moments, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like mysteries. I like political stuff. I like everything. I'm Kate Lepp, and I like... N- and those are my friends. <laughs> um, I like novels. I like history. I like memoirs. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction for my job. So if I can escape with a mystery, I'm really happy.
2: Okay. We have science fiction, fairy tales, mysteries, and children's, children's books. Children's books. What category do you want?
4: Um, mysteries, I guess. Okay. I what
2: city that. does um, V.I. Warshawski... Oh. Chicago. Good.
4: All right. Moving on.
2: I'll take children's (laughs) books. (laughs) Children's books. Little children. (laughs) What is the name of Harry Potter's owl? Oh, I didn't read Harry Potter. I didn't like him at (laughs) all. Not Ollie. (laughs) Ollie. Not Ollie. Who knows it? Hedwig. Hedwig. Okay. Okay.
1: So is she eliminated? Is she eliminated
0: now?
2: Yes, but she gets a prize. <laughs> but you get a
5: prize.
0: Wait, what's your prize? Billy Collins?
2: Billy Collins. What, what category are you pick?
5: Well, I guess I'll pick fairy tales because no one's picked that yet. Okay. In Snow White, mm-hmm.
0: did you say you liked mysteries, though? You're I, allowed to pick mysteries, too. I, it's, but you want to be competing here. I
5: teach first grade. I'm probably going to be right, better with right. fairy tales. Yeah.
2: In Snow White, what fruit put her in a coma? Oh. Apple. Okay.
0: <laughs> this, this is like Jeopardy!
1: Sometimes right, the, the,
0: the, yeah, 100 yeah, we have
1: hundred right. questions. $200 right. questions. What category would you like? Oh. Mm. Science fiction, mystery, children's books, fairy tales. Uh,
4: children's books.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: In the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, where did they escape to?
4: I can't remember if it's the New York Public Library or the museum. What do you guess? Oh. Uh, the Museum of Natural History? No. No, the Art Museum? I can't, it's a museum in New York. That's all yeah. I can get. Yeah, we'll, we'll give that to you, right? <laughs> it's the, the Met. P-
2: the Met. The Metropolitan. All okay. right. Which category would you like? Uh, fairy tales. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> These are a little harder, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> in what year? But I'm going to give you a choice. Okay. <laughs> in what year was Sleeping Beauty published? Your choices, wait, wait, wait.
5: Are you talking about the. Is it Perot or. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
2: Um, well, wait right. right a second. Does she, she get, okay. does she just get a prize? <laughs> yeah. for <that>? Here. <laughs> Here's your Billy Collins for that. For <laughs> Perot. Um, so your choices are
4: 1634,
2: 1758, 1920, or 1577.
5: It's either going to be 17. 17- or 19, I'm thinking 1758, is that right? There's 1920.
2: 1634.
5: <gasps> that old? Wow. Okay. Yeah.
2: But you got that book, so okay. that's okay.
0: Wait, does that mean Peg wins, or does she have to answer one more
2: she question? She has to answer one more question.
1: Okay. So don't leave yet. Okay. She knew Perot. <laughs> so what category would you like? Science oh. fiction, mystery, children's books, or fairy tales? Uh, just to
4: make it interesting, I'll go with science fiction, which is really not my category.
1: Okay, so this one I think that
2: um, we can have, we can get help from the audience for both of, of you guys. Um, or you could work together and both be the... Oh, you can't oh, both you can't be both the both grandparents. Grand okay. <laughs>
0: um, so, those are really good friends.
4: Where's, where's, the, uh, where's the town hall person? You can't give two? <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's no. got to be an not ultimate winner. A ribbon.
2: Yeah, we have to have an <laughs> ultimate winner. See, this <laughs> is
0: this is when what Katie was talking about is right. Not everybody gets the ribbon oh, I, in and the I competition.
4: Teach
2: people who everybody got a this ribbon. This is America. So it's not a good there idea. has to be an ultimate winner. All right, what are the three books in the science fiction trilogy by C.S. Lewis? Ooh, okay, it's it's Pylandra.
4: Shoot, my housemate is reading these, and I can only remember Pylandra. Give us the first letter of another title. Oh. On it, oh, yeah, it's on on something is the third one, I think.
2: Close. Oh.
4: <laughs> and I can't remember the first, which is horrible because it's the one I like the best. Out <laughs> of the, the silent, silent planet. planet. Do you
1: remember the third? Nancy, what's the final one? Oh, that hideous strength. That hideous so, strength.
2: so what's interesting about that trilogy, which C.S. Lewis wrote for adults is that the first one is science fiction, the second one is fantasy, and the third one is horror. Oh, Isn't that oh interesting? He covers that. the whole range of, of um, speculative fiction. It's been a long time. <laughs> okay, right, so Okay. Is so that?
1: Now, now we're in a runoff. So we're in a runoff. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> in a runoff. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever gets the next get question down. right wins. Okay. I guess I'll do children's.
2: Children's.
5: Okay, although fairy tales have been good for me. Yeah, let's do children's.
2: Okay, do you want um, a, like a combination children's and... Fairy tales,
5: sure. Okay.
2: What were the first names of the Brothers Grimm?
5: A couple of German boys, but I don't know. Yeah, they are. I I don't know what their names were. Anybody know? Friedrich and and Fritz or something. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah,
2: yeah, Jacob and and Wilhelm. Okay. What is the name of Holmes and Watson's landlady?
4: Oh, I have no idea. Uh, Mrs. Smith.
1: (laughs) Do you know it? Nobody knows. Okay, we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna have a winner here sooner or later. Fairy
2: tales. Okay. About how many fairy tales did the Brothers Grimm write? Okay. And I'm going to give you a choice. Okay. Two hundred
5: and fifty. Seven hundred. Four. Two hundred and ten. Uh, two hundred and fifty. No. What? Ten. I think that's close. So
2: close. <laughs>
4: so close. All right. You know, I'm going to have to come.
0: Up, I'm going to have to come up with some so questions that people can answer. Here yeah. deal.
4: <laughs> I. Have in the past been a member of Town Hall, and I will be again. <laughs> so,
2: oh, <laughs> thank you. Let's let's give this what oh. this to Peg. This is a um, questions uh, like questions to start great conversations. The book club edition. Really good for
1: oh. Yes, good. You guys are very good sports. Thank you we do want to take a few questions if anyone has Jason, can you they can come back, Jason, come join us. back up. so Jason
4: I um I work with an, an organization that works with uh, homeless youth and I'm wondering can of course you will recommend your book but I'm wondering if it would be a good thing for our board to read um to get a sense of that side of Seattle
3: yeah I, and for what it's worth I I also used to work with, uh, with a homeless youth service organization. I have friends who are still active in that and who are on the board and, and uh, they have said that they want their other board members to read it. So, uh, yeah.
1: What's the title of your book?
3: Uh, it's a list of things that didn't kill me.
1: Nancy, uh, what's the favorite first line of a book? Oh,
2: Oh, yes. We're going to actually do first lines. My, one of my very favorite first lines is, comes from a terrific book called The Towers of Trebizond by Rose McCauley, and it's very funny, and it's back in print, and it has a terrific cover. And it begins, Take my camel, said my Aunt Dot, as she climbed down from this animal on her return from high mass. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a fabulous book it is so funny
4: uh, this is probably too serious but since you mentioned both of these authors and they're very close to me uh, I've often wondered about two great people Wendell Berry and Wallace Stegner As marvelous people but uh, the Big Rock Candy Mountain is maybe a good example of where I think there are priceless parts in the book but the whole book itself doesn't really stand up mm-hmm. and you know, I, I find that with Wendell, too, is that there are great parts of his writing, but yet he's not a great novelist or a great, great. What do you think?
2: Um, I think that, that, that uh, some, some books, I think it's very hard to write a book. I think, I, I mean, I think that it's a, a, a million times harder to write a book than to read a book. I'm finding that myself. I mean, I'm speaking from experience. Um, and I think that some books are not entirely successful, and I would totally agree about Big Rock Candy Mountain. Um, With Wendell Berry, I don't, the ones that I've read, and I have probably not read all of his his books, but um, I I, I don't have that feeling with with him. But I think almost with every book, with every work of fiction particularly, there are going to be parts that really work and parts that don't.
0: Thank you, Stesha. Thank you. thank you. Jason. Nancy, thank you for coming. Thank you, guys. That was fun. Nancy Pearl, Katie Sewell, a room full of folks filling up the basement at Town Hall. Our thanks to Jason Schmidt, author of the memoir, A List of Things That Didn't Kill Me. Also, thanks to Stesha Brandon and all the great folks who make it happen at Town Hall. Thanks to Ware Harmon. We are back at Town Hall October 18th at 6.30, Sunday evening. Good time to chat about books, we thought. You know, you've just watched the Seahawks game. You're digesting your Sunday meal. Hope you'll come by. Five bucks for a ticket. Tell your friends. Bring your family. We will be back next week with another episode taped at the Brian Corner Cafe, 32nd and 65th in Seattle, Northeast Seattle. Drop on by. We tape on Tuesdays about three. Check our Facebook page for updates or follow us on Twitter. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and at thatstackofbooks.com. We are on Facebook and on Twitter, at that stack. Now, go dog ear some pages. I'm Steve Cher. Thanks for listening.